Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome on today's show. We have Anna Maria. Crap, I forgot your. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> it's such a long name. <laughs> started, started well. Ignat, Ignat Berget. Berget. That's it. She is a artist and she is an amazing individual who I met through another awesome person and through a network on Remo and a few, I think a month or two ago and I heard her and I was like, I gotta have her on the show and here she is. So hello, welcome to the show. and Maria, how are you doing? I'm great. Hi to everybody that is listening. So you're from Romania, right? I'm from Romania, yeah. I was born there. Spent a lot, the first 27 years of my life there. What was it like growing up in Romania? Well, my childhood was pretty idyllic, actually. It was during the communism era, but my experience of it was actually really positive. I was brought up by my grandparents because my parents were sent in different places and there were students as well and they were sent different places to work. And I was in this tiny village where I had lots of friends, lots of freedom. So yeah, it wasn't bad at all. But of course, like the underlying issues were there. We had to queue for bread. We had to queue for milk. But I knew nothing else, right? That was my reality. And because I was unconditionally loved and because I had my support system, I was happy. Wow, growing up with a grandmother, that must have been really interesting. Both my grandparents, a grand-grandmother and a grand-grandfather for the first like five years. Wow. You know, you think of mom and the dad, but to have grandparents, you know, for the first few years, it's interesting, you know. My parents would come every weekend. So, yeah, every weekend for the first five years. Then we moved with my with my parents. Wow, that was probably to do with the communism, right? Absolutely, yes. So first, my parents were students when they got married and had me. And then, you know, like the, the regime would send you places to work, right? 
one was sent one direction, one was sent in another place. Eventually, they managed to get together. But a lot of people in my generation have been brought up by grandparents. It was quite a common thing to do. You know, in likes of Ireland or America, other Western countries, it sounds odd, but yes, probably at that time was the normal, you know? It was, yeah. Like a lot of my friends had the same experience. And actually, even now, even now, for instance, a lot of my friends that have babies have their mothers with them to look after the child. They don't hire nannies or put them to nursery until much later. They call it the institution of grandma in Romania. It's a big thing. Why is that? I think it's, I don't know, it's um, probably it's coming from that time of communism, but also I think it's the Latin culture, the, the proximity of families. And a lot of the times it's the mother's mom. So it, it, I think it, it's, it comes from like, it takes a village to raise somebody, right? Like a, a reminisce of that. I think, you know, grandparents have a, such a very important role in, you know, grandchildren raising. I think it's something we've lost these days, you know. Yeah, we do. And especially in Western societies. Uh, but in the East, in Eastern Europe, and I think in Latin countries as well, this is still quite, it's much more prevalent. Yeah, I hope it comes back. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, not now with coronavirus when they, they tell us to stay away from the elderly, right? So... Not not very soon, <laughs> but soon enough, hopefully. So did you go to school in Romania? Did you travel to another country after you went to you back up your parents? So I, I went to school in Romania. We started primary school at seven. Before that, I was in nursery, which is a communist nurse. It was terrible, so I, I won't get into that. But uh, the school, primary school, secondary school in Romania, then high school. So it I was in a small uh, town in Romania. And then I moved to Bucharest, which is the capital city, when I was 19, 19 for university. And what did you go study in university? I studied economics. So I'm a, I have a bachelor in economics, uh, majoring in tourism and hospitality. Uh, although, all my childhood, I said, I want to be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what happened is I had, my, my parents were supportive and I was kind of going for it. In, in primary school, my a painting teacher told me, oh, you should start oils after, like I was about 10. And then at 15, I got badly bullied by one of my former best friends. And that really killed my confidence. Although it hasn't, it, my, my friends didn't notice or my family didn't even notice. I held it so, so much closed in, so much hidden, but I kind of changed course. I didn't want to stand out anymore. You know, I just wanted to be like everybody else. So we were a group of girls that had the same hair color, the same lipstick color, the same kind of clothes. You know, like it's that nice feeling of belonging, but also that it's a camouflage as well. You just want to blend in so that you don't stand out, so that you're not a target. That's That was like in my, in my mind. So for a while, I kind of flirted with the idea to go either to art school or to, to do design or architecture. The thing is that I always wanted to do all sorts of things. I wanted to do psychology as well. I had a phase with psychology. I had a phase with, a phase with um, uh, foreign languages. I wanted to be a linguist. I had a few phases. <laughs> <laughs> 
But like in the back of my mind, whenever somebody asks me, what did you want to do when you when you were little? Saying that, what did you want to be when you grow up? The first thing coming to my mind was I want to be an artist. And when I watched movies like, you know, La La Land? Yeah. So it's, it's exactly, I, I cried during that movie, like the entire movie, because it's about following or not following your dream, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but I studied economics. <laughs> Did you study it because you, that was the norm and you were following the herd and you needed Pretty to have Pretty much. A like a lot of my friends went and studied economics. It was an academy. It's called Academy of Economic Studies. They had a lot of different specializations and it wasn't, the, the exam was very difficult, but they, they had enough places that you would get in. So in a way, it was my like safety blanket a bit, but it was challenging because it was very difficult mathematics in the exam, economics, obviously, and all that. So, yeah, I just followed uh, my friends. And also, like, I had discussions with either friends or my family, thinking of what makes sense, right, to, to choose. The other thing was that because I was in a, we didn't have art school in, in the town I grew up in. So I studied in high school. It was also like math, economics based. So it was easier. And like my dopamine production is not the best ever. So I didn't, I didn't feel like going all that extra mile to do something completely different. So you probably know the micro and macro of the world economics. That's the only thing I know about economics. Micro and macro, yes. Yes. I actually ended up doing an MBA as well. So it was a lot of micro and macro during that one. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, you probably see the economics happening right now and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder, and you probably read the report like someone reads the newspaper of what's happening in the news. I'd say what you look at, you know. You kind of of see trends coming and you see things developing and you start making more sense of it. But to be honest, during this time, I don't... I don't read the news. I don't watch the news because I care about my mental health more than being um, in touch with everything. So I keep in my bubble. I read information that I'm interested in. And the news, I kind of watch them or read about them in hindsight. I read The Economist, which uh, kind of, you know, like synthesizes and draws conclusions and comes up with forecasts and things like that, rather than reading every piece of news that is happening, because I I tend to get overwhelmed by what's going on. I love The Economist. It's like your weather report of news, you know? Right? (laughs) It's good. And it gives you bite size and you're like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) And if you want to read the long ones, it's fine, but otherwise, no. So how long did you spend studying economics? Well, it was four years, bachelor degree. Then I started um, working for Hilton. So I worked for Hilton Hotels for close to five years first. And then I went uh, and did an MBA in hospitality as well in Switzerland, uh, Ecole Hotelier de Lausanne, which was a very interesting year. Like going back to school after a few years of working, it's pretty awesome, but really intense as well. So that was an interesting year. Wow. So you can tell people where to go and things to see since you're in the tourism space. Actually, uh, considering I'm in the tourist industry, I'm really bad with geography. I'm really bad with history. Uh, It's more about the experience. I worked in hospitality 
It's all about customer service. It's all about thinking about what people would want, would like, would be thrilled to experience when they travel. So I liked a lot this part of the human behavior and the way we perceive traveling, the way it can transform us and the way, you know, you can reenact feeling like home in a place that is definitely not your home. Why did you switch over to hospitality and tourism? Why did I do that? Yeah. I just, um, I always like traveling. I like the feeling of like being out of your comfort zone. I like that feeling of discovery, of seeing new places, of really immersing yourself in that place. So I kind of wanted to, to create that for other people. Wow. And when you worked in the Hilton Hotel, was it, were you fancy Irish or were you kind of a tour manager or what, were your, what was your role? Uh, so at Hilton, I worked first in reservations and then I, was, I worked in sales, sales management, uh, which was uh, making deals with corporations or with big travel agencies and so on. Deals for different rates and groups, uh, events, things like that. I loved it because, you know, in sales, you meet a lot of people and I love meeting people and I love like getting to know them. And actually I created during that time some really meaningful relationship, you know, that turned into friendship. So, um, yeah, that was what I did. I just like climbed up, you know, like I start from I started from like a junior position, then getting to senior position and so on. You climbed that tree pretty quick. Yeah. I wonder what, did, you know, in getting that far up in the company, I wonder what skills that you learned. Oh, interesting question. I learned a lot about, I think my biggest learning things were about customer service and about how to really listen to your, to your client or to your customer. And I think my biggest asset that I brought to the company was my ability to build relationships with my peers, with my leaders and with the clients especially. And I kept developing this skill while I was working there. I did not develop the skill of writing reports <laughs> as much as I had to do them. That was like always at 11 p.m. at night when everybody left the building. I'll be there, oh God, I need to do my report deadline tomorrow or I would come at 4 a.m. in the office doing my report <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was not the nice part of it no working for a corp corporation you can imagine there's a fair bit of reporting how long were you working in Hilton uh, so I worked since I graduated about four, five years first then after my MBA I went back for a short period of time because they offered me the director position uh, in that same hotel but I didn't last too long that was a different story. I wonder why. Why? Sorry, um, after the MBA, uh, that's where I met my husband, my current husband. I didn't marry him straight away. <laughs> uh, and he moved back to London after, after the MBA. And I was like, I want to try new things. I want to learn new things. And I want to be with him. So I moved to London as well. The thing is that I'm Romanian, right? And at that time, you needed a work permit to get a job in the United Kingdom. So I went ahead and started applying for jobs, thinking, oh my God, they're going to give me the work permit straight away. Well, the fact of the matter is that they, they didn't. To be sponsored for a work permit meant that you had to like really have some very specific skills that nobody else in the, in the country had them, right? So I got a few job offers, but they said, you need to get your work permit first. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to apply for my work permit. Some like one job kept waiting for me, but then they said like, we can't wait anymore. So I started doing the work permit. I applied. It took 11 months, 11 months to get that paper. 
And meanwhile, um, the people back at Hilton, when I used to work, um, said, why don't you come back? We have this position open and we believe in you and we, th we think you do a great job. It's the director of sales position. And I'm like, wow, this is really like a really good step for my career. So it was hard, but I was frustrated. I was tired of just sitting and waiting and I just went back. But of course, long term, long distance relationship is hard and the traveling back and forth really took a toll on me. And then my then boyfriend proposed when we went on a trip to Venice. I know cliche, right? <laughs> And then I, I just decided to not continue with that position and to come back to, to London. And when you made that decision, then you decided to become an artist or is that kind of further down your story? That's further down my story, actually, yes. It's actually very, very recent. Oh. It's very, very recent, yes. I thought we straight away, but you don't know, like, you know. I know. So when you moved back to London, did you get a job or did you go yes, back to school? Yes, I, I got a job. I got a job, but I worked remote for a U.S. company. Then I got another job. Uh, we had the wedding back in Romania. Then I started, I, I had children. Because that's, I think, when the contemporary Ana Maria starts. <laughs> <laughs> because having children, Aaron, was a big paradigm shift, right? I had a first child and like motherhood, you know, like it has been proven your brain physically changes during pregnancy and the change lasts for at least two years. It's like the, the gray matter in your brain actually shrinks. And like the, the area that um, has to do with empathy, like enlarges, like physically. So it was a big shift in me and my focus was changed. And I said to myself, I'm not going to go away from them unless it's something super meaningful for me. So I went on this journey of self-rediscovery, self-improvement. I, I listened to courses. I studied psychology online. I studied nutrition, all sorts. I went into this frenzy of like getting to know what I can learn and what I can assimilate to make me a better person and to make me a better mom, right? So at that point, I started to think what I actually wanted to do rather than just going for a job that I could get easily. So yeah, uh, but I, I stayed with the children at home for quite a while. I know it's not very typical for a person with an MBA to stay for five years at home or four years in a bit, but I did it. I only took, because they started school and my eldest started school and for my youngest I had a nanny for a while so I started doing some consultancy work but it wasn't like every day it was some sporadic work and then the big shift happened last year at the end of last year when I had um, an eye-opening experience but a pretty traumatic one as well I had a manic episode in November last year. So it's exactly one year for one year before. Uh, it was, uh, we decided to move to Spain last year in August. And I started this frenzy of like packing and organizing everything. All of a sudden, like um, I wanted to save the world. <laughs> I wanted to do it. I had all these ideas, right? I was on medicine at the time for ADHD, which I got diagnosed with about four years ago. And I was taking an antidepressant for after my, my youngest son was born. And I was in this frenzy of moving and everything that I forgot to take my medicines for a week. 
And then after that week, I took them all at once without like taking it slowly. And I was at a conference of marketing and the theme was something like marketing for the good of humanity or something like that. I got so excited about all those ideas that were, because I was there because I, I already believed in all that. I got so excited that I didn't sleep for like five days <laughs> much, uh, like one or two hours maybe <laughs> a night. First, it was fun and it was interesting. I have a notebook, ideas, ideas, ideas. It's full of them. I have apps that I want to develop. I have communities that I want to build. I have, I have a lot of things that I want to do. It's just like finding the people to do it with. It was a lot of mental activity during that time. Too much mental activity because what happens when you're too much like that? You, you go into burnout, right? So yeah, after having that, I had a big epiphany of what I want to do. And I started again to write, to paint. I decided, you know what, I'm going to be myself. This is it. I'm done pretending. I'm done trying to conform. I'm, I'm going to embrace it all. Everything that makes me me, all my experiences. So I started creating. I started creating with writing. And I started pouring my heart and soul into writing. I wrote prose first and I found the outlet for this to show the world because, you know, it's like sometimes you create, but you kind of keep it to yourself. I actually write in a poem, is creation really creation where you just share it with yourself and you don't let it out in the world for other eyes to see or to hear or to, you know, to experience it. So I started sharing on LinkedIn my, my writing and it got really good feedback. And I felt like, wow, during this time, it wasn't easy because um, I eventually got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And of course, it comes with ups, but it comes with downs. I didn't stop creating, though, even though at times it would be much less. Finally, only this year, I went back to painting. Actually, when lockdown started. So there you go. It, it looks like only like really bad things have to happen to me to take action. <laughs> like once a manic episode, okay, start writing. Then lockdown for a global pandemic. I start painting. <laughs> so what's next? A war? I hope not. Goodness me. <laughs> So yes, um, and uh, only like a month ago, I had my first exhibition with my uh, visual art and poetry. And it is about my bipolar journey, my bipolar experience, right? The ups and downs. I believe this type of being neurodivergent is just like, it's like an exaggeration of natural tendency of being like a sinusoid, you know? We're always up and down in life, isn't it? Very rarely you find somebody going, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm forever stable like this. The creativity must have been unreal to, you know, have these ups and downs, but yes, being able to pop out these fantastic paintings and writings. Mm. It's like, it's, it's um, when you are in that more elevated state, creativity does come easier. I mean, it can be that kind of energy, that kind of surplus of energy can be can be spent in any ways, right? Some people shop a lot, some people clean up the house like a lot or all sorts of things. And, but a lot of people find a release of energy and in creativity. 
and it's not only R, right? You come up with these ideas because your brain is so fired up at that moment that you start making connections of things you knew that you knew. So things that you knew that you knew with things that you had no idea that you knew. They're somewhere there in the back of your mind. And you start seeing things, you start seeing patterns. And I believe like this is, it's a very similar experience to flow. You know, when you're, when you're in flow, your prefrontal cortex like shuts down, your inner critic shuts down and you're just in that state of letting it all through, come through you, letting all that inspiration come to you. And I, I have a way now to get into that state of flow again, over and over again. And that's where creativity flourishes. That's where ideas come. That's where I keep writing in my little notebook <laughs> of ideas to save the world. Like, because my ideas are very interesting. It's like I have an app, an app that tackles bullying, an app that tackles unconscious bias that leads to discrimination. It's like I have, I'm building my coaching business that is um, meant to help other people unleash their creativity as well to go back to that child inside, you know, to go back to that wonder and to start seeing possibilities rather than just probabilities, to open our eyes like this, you know, to everything. You just said something very interesting that stop, because when we're a child, we in, inside us wants to create, but we have not problems, we have possibilities. And I think that's so true. Yeah, it's true. Society teaches you to inhibit those those natural tendencies, right? Mm. They tell you, you don't draw a tree like that. If my three-year-old wants to draw a tree like it's a big circle with a dot inside, they tell him, no, you have to do the trunk and then you have to do this. And it can't be purple here, it has to be green. Right? It's a lot of have-tos, it's a lot of shoulds, it's a lot of this is how it is done. And that inhibits creativity big time. I understand there are things that are, are as they are. But even like science now, everything <laughs> proves to be like wrong. <laughs> true? Isn't that true? Like yeah. everything like, actually, you know what? <laughs> this is not how the world started. And actually, you know what? <laughs> right? Because we keep discovering things. And in order to keep discovering things, you need to keep your eyes open to discoveries. And that's what I, I'm trying with my coaching practice to, to help people to do again, to go back to that playfulness, to go back to that place of divergent thinking of like seeing, okay, uh, this, what is this? It's my uh, hair clipper. What else can you do with this? And you think, and you try, you do an exercise. Three minutes, I'm going to think what else I can do with this. I can scratch my head. I can put it on my lamp to give me shadows I can whatever you know we need to start thinking of, of things not as they are but what they could be as well I would assume that when you got back to painting and writing you felt at ease with yourself in some way yeah it was um, it was scary though Aaron it was scary and I, you know why I'm just it's just coming to me now because um, all my life I was taught to do things really well right I was like you need to be you need to try to be your best in this and so on so painting and drawing were something really dear to my heart and for a lot of years I didn't do it because I thought I'm not good enough so messing up with something that I loved so much was just not conceivable right? I couldn't even get myself to think about messing up such a such an important thing right 
And then I said, you know what? I'm scared, but that's fine. It's okay. So I let myself be scared. I I shook a bit and I'm like, I'm going to do it anyways. So I did it. And after I did it, yes, it felt amazing. It felt like, it felt cathartic. It felt like a big release, you know, of like a a, a pressure cooker has just been (laughs) taken the lid off. (laughs) And then the moment of actually showing it to people, that was again, super scary. But after doing it was very, very, um, how to say, like life affirming. I would say you felt free after you did that drawing and it's like, this is me, I can do this. And and you you probably looked back thinking, why didn't I do this earlier? And yeah, (laughs) yeah. Exactly. I'm like, what was I waiting for? But you know what? Like, I think everything comes at the right time because you know what? Like now, it's not all about skill for me, like the actual skill of putting paint on, on the on the paper. It's about what I express. So the fact that I know myself so much better now and I know so many more things about life, I have different things to express, you know? Of course, it would have helped me through some times. It would have could have been it would have been really good to try earlier, but I didn't. So I I only have now. So I'll just do it. You kind of regret that that you didn't do it earlier. I, actually, I don't. I don't because I think like this was my journey. All these things that I did and all these places I went to and all these things that affected me made me who I am today. Yes, I, it, it would have been different if I started earlier. Maybe if I would have continued when I was 15, then I would have become an artist. Maybe I wouldn't know my husband now, you know, then because I wouldn't ever go to do an MBA if I'm an artist, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> then, or who knows, maybe, why not? Yeah, there are things that sometimes I wish I had done. And sometimes I wish some things hadn't happened to me. But deep down, actually, I'm happy with everything that happened as it happened. Because this is this is my lifeline. It's my story to tell. And what was it like to, you know, go from someone that was just starting to write and paint and have her first expedition? It was it was awesome. <laughs> really, really awesome. And the feedback, that, that was like, I, I was floored with the feedback. At first, the actual act of doing it and then putting it out there, right? Because it's a very intimate presentation as well. It talks about depression. It talks about mania. It talks about these different states of consciousness that you go into. And it talks about very personal things. But like me thinking like, wow, I have, I have an exhibition out there. People can see from all over the world what I created, you know? And like the fact that it talks about a reality that is not really talked about because it's still, it's still covered, it's still hidden under the carpet. Aaron, people don't say about this. They don't talk about these things. And I believe that there's more discussion, that there needs to be more discussions about this. That's why I decided, you know what, I'm going to say it out loud. This is it. It's it's not who I am, but it's part of my reality. It's part of things that I have to tackle every day. I also think when we live at something like depression or bipolar or blindness or whatever it is, people don't really see or talk about it. But when we put art out there, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what someone's experiencing. And I think, you know, art either in audio or video or paintings or sculptures or writing, it, it brings someone to a whole new world and a whole new reality in some way. Absolutely, yeah. You have that point of contact. They get immersed. The people get immersed in your reality, you know? You can show them a bit how it feels. 
and that's one of my biggest app ideas in people connecting from from different backgrounds with different levels of abilities with different everything different skin color different um, neural structure whatever because i believe like when you we, we when we invite people into our world they can learn about it you know and art is a great translator of that you know it really connects the the, the viewer with with that world you know so i'm gonna keep doing that and <laughs> <laughs> was it all paintings or sculptures or writing or is it mixed it is mixed so my presentation is um, poetry mixed with uh, my drawings my paintings It's like a I like to to have like a journey. It's not like okay, this painting is necessarily by itself. And I don't like to talk about what it says, what the painting is about. I like to, the viewer to experience it, but I intersect poetry in between. So it gives you like a clue. This presentation that I did and which who's which is going to be ex- exhibited again, it's called From the Depth of the Sea to the Top of the Club. So you understand it's like it's a it's a journey it's from the deep down when you're like uh completely uh uh to like when you're really flying a bit too high. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> do you do you think that um what you experienced with your ADHD and depression do you think that was there for a long time or was it something that was discovered the last four or five years? It was only diagnosed recently, but um, like for instance, diagnosis of ADHD has to do a lot with like um, historical data. So you have to say how you were in school and so on and so forth. So I had it all my life, ADHD. Um, in terms of bipolar, so the thing is like these two really overlap. Like 70% of people with bipolar also have ADHD. And 20% of people that get diagnosed with ADHD end up developing bipolar as well. What happens is that they're also really difficult to tell apart from each other. Uh, so I don't know if I had bipolar before because, you know, there's like mania is hard to tell. Uh, hypomania especially. So hypomania is when you're just slightly elevated. You don't go to not sleeping at all and going completely in the clouds. But you are like very, very energetic. You talk a lot. You get lots of ideas. You tend to spend more. You tend to make reckless decisions as well. And that has destroyed a lot of marriages. Let me put it this way. But on the other side, ADHD has this thing that is called hyperfocus. So you go really, really into one thing and you get like, you, you get super excited about it. You talk about it and you really dig deep into working on it. So I think during my diagnosis, it was hard to tell which one is what. And now that I look back, I don't even know, to be honest. But like it's it, the bipolar definitely kicked in big time, like at the end of last year. And since then, I noticed the shift in moods. I don't know if, if I noticed them better because I'm aware or they just got more noticeable in themselves. I think that, you know, like I know medicine is doing amazing work, but they put labels on like bipolar and ADHD and ADD. But I think it's yeah. just another form of creativity just with a label, you know. I think so too. I mean, it's like we are we are all different, you know. I know they use the word neurodiversity. They use the word neurodiversity for so many things that this word shouldn't be used. Neurodiversity is all of us. We all have neurodiversity. We're not two people are the same, right? And everything, we're all different in so many ways. Yes, there are people that diverge more from the average than others, right? 
And that's when you have this, this neurodivergence, like look at autism, look at dyslexia, look at ADHD, as we discussed. But as you said, like lately, things are being overdiagnosed and things that are just like variants of being human are being labeled. I don't disregard the fact that bipolar is a mental illness and it's really crippling. And if you don't work on it, it's a really dangerous condition because the suicide rate when you have this diagnosis is really high. I wouldn't associate suicide with this, but like sometimes the ignorance and not knowing stuff kind of is the bliss in some way. But when someone has a full time experience, that probably is possible as well, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, being uh, being human is not really easy, is it? But it's amazing, right? It's hard and it's painful and it's exciting and it's, you know, it's like everything. It's a big mess of experiences. It's a it's a big mess of sensations. It's a big it's a big journey we are on. And it's fantastic and it's wonderful. And it's wonderful that we're, we're, we're doing it together, you know? I feel this. I feel like, I know like nowadays it's a, a lot of polarization, but at the same time, you know, you and me are talking. Where are you now, Aaron? I'm in Ireland. You're in Spain, you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this awesome? Like, I love it. And I'm talking to you about my experiences and you're not talking to me too much about your experiences now, but... <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. I'm always the loud one in the room. <laughs> oh dear. Maria, you, you said your journal and all your amazing ideas and you want to make humans Superman and Superwoman in some way. I wonder where that thought pattern came from, where you wanted people to become their own superhero in some way. <sighs> That's a very good question. And there is a, a bad, uh, like a negative aspect to the answer and there's a positive aspect to the answer. I think it came from, first it came from a feeling of powerlessness, you know, of feeling like we are all entrapped by the system, by the world of have-tos, you know, by the world of this is your spot, sit here, this is you, like what are you talking about, you know, by the fact that we are being controlled so much by these big corporations, by you know, and I'm like the individual, if we as individuals wake up to our power and to the strength of our voice, when we combine our voices together, you know, they can't, nobody can, can say they don't hear them, right? I really believe in the power of intention and in the power of our own, like really speaking our own truth with conviction and with courage, but with kindness, because we are all faulty somehow and we are all perfect at the same time as we are. We're, we just are, right? And if we're compassionate but assertive, we can change the world together. I truly believe that. I really believe. So let's just do it. <laughs> I, I totally, totally agree. And sometimes taking on a goal that big can be so daunting but yet so exciting at the same time. So what's the creative art buzz happening in uh, your creativity at the moment? So now it's all about connection. That's my next thing. <laughs> and I'm going to have an exhibition about that. It's going to be like a two, three days thing, online exhibition. So I'm working on that. I'm working on some poetry for that and on some paintings for that. 
it's all about connection and yeah that's that's my next i i like to do a project at a time because you get into that zone right so my my um when i did this project with uh, from the bottom of the sea to the top of the clouds which dealt with depression with sadness with hypomania and all that and super excitement i also wrote a chapter in a book which was about sadness so it kind of all they all mix together because you go into a place right and you have to feel it in order to express it so i had to go to that sadness and let it in and just accept it and i believe we should accept all emotions but when you're creating you go back to that place if it's If you really want it to come from the core, from the heart, and to, for people to feel it, you travel to that place. But you travel, you travel without being completely immersed in it, because that can be dangerous. You know, you get, you go there, and you cannot get stuck there, right? You're like, oops, <laughs> oops, <laughs> I can't lift my feet now. Now everything I'm doing is about connection. So yeah, that's that's what I'm working on. You feel that going to sadness and depths is kind of like your own personal therapy to deal with what you're dealing with? Yeah, it is. It's really therapeutic. And talking about it and knowing that that maybe it will resonate with one person and maybe that person is going to use it in a therapeutical mo mode as well. It will suit them or they would feel they're not alone. You know, that's, that helps me a lot as well. You know, you let it out, but you also like, you let it out in the world because you can just let it out on a piece of, a, on, a, on a journal, right? Mm. So you did it, you, you wrote it out, you, you let it out. But the fact that somebody, only, it can be one person, two persons, they read your words and they found them soothing or they found like, actually, I'm not the only one that feels like this, you know? That is so important to me. That is so important to me. Even if it feels vulnerable and it's scary when you when you let it out, but it's so um, I can't find this word. I don't know. Today I don't have this word. <laughs> rewording, rewording. <laughs> Today I don't have. Oh, sorry. That's not the name. Oh, sorry. It's yeah. rewording. It's very rewarding. When you did the paintings and you released all that inner angst and emotion and realized this is me you're walking around in 100% Anna Maria naked but yet yeah yeah and and also <laughs> and also you got to say look this is who I really am I'm not a, yeah I have an MBA and I did all this stuff but this is who I am yeah it felt awesome like walking around naked with all my extra COVID weight <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And, oh, it's that. It's that really, really good. It's that really good. Um, but don't don't get me wrong. It still feels vulnerable, and I'm still gonna be like, if somebody says something bad about it, I'm still my my initial reaction would be like, oh. But then I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. This is your perception. Your thoughts are not my business. It's like, yes, if you want to talk about it, if you talk about it respectfully, fine. If you're going to be aggressive in any way, I'm going to be like, this is my boundary. No, you can't do that, you know? I learn now. So it feels awesome. It feels awesome to really like, okay, this is who I am. That's that's that. Kind of like you're coming out. <laughs> well, I'm coming out of the closet. I was just going to say <laughs> The artistic closet. <laughs> yeah, my artistic closet or my kitchen cupboard. <laughs> my, yeah, I'm coming out of somewhere. <laughs> I can't wait to see where you go, Amaria, because I think you're going to be the next uh, Michelangelo or Da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. 
definitely not but <laughs> but I'll try I'll, I'll try to be me and to like really speak the truths that are not that easy to speak about but you know what I'm just gonna do it and that's that the, the truth is far powerful than than what we imagine absolutely, absolutely if people want to come and find out and see your art and your poetry and all the bubbles of creativity you produce where can they find you I mean, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so just uh, search my name. And the uh, exhibitions I'm, I'm going to be part of is called uh, The Artocalypse. So if you look for that, you're going to find uh, the exhibition. But I'm going to post about these things on my LinkedIn profile. I'm the most active there and I have blog posts and I have videos that I post now since like two weeks ago <laughs> because I was really terrified of doing video. Actually, I was really scared of doing this video. I'm like, what do you mean you have videos? Well, why? <laughs> But now I'm like, okay, I'm scared, but it's okay. I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in. And that, that's 2020. It's like, oh, shish, I'm scared. And yes, I keep doing it. And right? Yes. Yes. That's it. That's it. And it's awesome. It's empowering. And, and yet when we're in our bubble, it's like, oh yeah, it's comfortable and nothing happened. But when we're in this uncomfortable and adaptive, we're like, wow, you know. I know, I know, yeah. Anna Maria, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast and really enjoyed and get to know you and it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. It's been great talking to you. And thank you for everybody that's watching or listening. I don't know what the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come find the button. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the button? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.